Okay, we are continuing on in Acts chapter 28. Acts 28. And you, you might remember last time they had shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Paul was bitten by a viper. Nothing happened to him. The, the, uh, the natives there showed them tremendous um, compassion. And the natives in return received healing. And you see that this, this gift of hospitality, this welcoming and hospitality that the natives had and what they received in return. Now we're going to start reading from Acts chapter 28, verse 11. And at the end of three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. And after we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we sailed around and arrived at Regium. And a day later, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Petoli. There we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Apius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And we... When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. And after three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began to tell them, Brethren, though I I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, They were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusations against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake and the hope of Israel. And they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. Okay, so they then wintered for three months in Malta where there had been shipwrecked, and there was another Alexandrian ship now, and there was a huge trade from North Africa bringing wheat to Rome. And these were actually protected ships because Rome very much needed the grain. And so the former ship that that Paul was on was actually a grain ship because you remember throwing throwing the grain overboard. But here they're on another Alexandrian ship and it says that this particular ship had the twin brothers as its figurehead. Not to make a very big deal about this, but it's interesting that, that Luke noted that it had the twin brothers for its figurehead, which was a common figurehead on ships in those days. These were the two sons of Zeus, this this god Zeus, It had two sons, and it was a common figurehead. And it's interesting that Paul got on this ship, and he wasn't neurotic about this, that that it happened to bear the the head of of, of two false gods that that heathens would would worship. And and it didn't bother him a, a bit. And in fact, it didn't affect his journey at all. He got on this ship, and... I'm not sure that he had a whole lot of choice and that he was a prisoner, but you don't see any, any words of, of, of it being a big problem for him. And he got on and he was taken there. And so he was actually quite safe upon that ship. 
So it really wasn't a problem for him, and he, he didn't make any big deal out of it. And then in verse 12, they put in at Syracuse. They stayed there for three days, and then they arrived at Regium. And then a south wind came, and, and uh, it says that... that yeah, so, so they went to Petoli, and it says, There they found brethren, uh, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days. Again, you see this hospitality that is offered by the body of Christ. The hospitality that came. And then it says that, that uh, in verse 15, when they, <clears throat> when they heard that Paul was, was there, that they came as, as from two other towns, which were about ten miles away, and they came and, and uh, when Paul saw the brethren starting to come, it says he thanked God and he took courage. This is the first lesson that we want to bring on this today, that, that the, the, the thanking God for the body of Christ. Paul was encouraged by the body of Christ. When you travel, if you make it your purpose, that when you say, go study abroad for a semester, to make sure that you get involved with a local body of Christ, with a local church, you will be greatly blessed. I'm amazed that, that students can come and for four years never really tie in with the body of Christ because they think, well, I'm transient here. I'm only here for four years. And it's like, four years? This is, a, this is a very large portion of your life. You need to be involved somewhere with other believers. So Paul was there for just a few days. He didn't hang out on the ship and just say, you know, I, you know, I really don't look good. I haven't shaved very much in the past five months. And uh, uh, I haven't had a haircut in very long. No, he went and he had fellowship with the believers, with the body of Christ. It's important to rapidly have fellowship with the body of Christ. Paul saw the believers and it says, and he took courage. Paul took courage. I mean, here's the courageous uh, apostle who on the ship stood there and said, Men, don't worry, God has spoken to me. The courageous apostle who gets bitten by a viper and he just shakes it off into the fire. When he saw the brethren, his courage was greater emboldened. He took courage when he saw the brethren. Learning how to fellowship with the body of Christ. Just last night, Shireen and I were with, with several other couples. We had this little Valentine's thing together and we were sitting around a campfire and started, one person had a guitar and started singing these songs from like 30 years ago. So songs that none of you would recognize. And it was songs from when I first became a believer that, that, that the church used to sing. And, you know, we would sing these songs together and it brought back all these memories of the goodness of the body of Christ in my life. As a couple... We have, have lived in about six or seven states as a couple. So we moved a lot through school and then, and then through different jobs. And people say, well, where do you like most? Because we started out on the East Coast, then we lived in the, in, in the central part of the country, the Midwest, and then we were in Wisconsin, and then California, and then South Carolina, and Texas, and all over. They say, where do you like best? I say, I don't know. I like every place we've ever lived. Every place we've ever lived, I, I've liked it. And Shireen has liked it. Because we had the fellowship of the body of Christ and we would get knit into the church very rapidly. And so this transition, this down period that many people feel when they have to move, and women especially, it hits. They have to leave their friends and, and, and everything. 
there was a rapid recovery because we were rapidly knit in with the body of Christ. I remember when we moved to Texas. We had checked out about four or five churches over four or five weeks, and that's it. And we could, we could choose then very quickly. We didn't have to spend four years looking for a church to, to join. And then what we did after like that fifth week, we joined the church. I mean, we walked up front and whatever the church was going to require for membership, we were going to do. Some other churches make you attend, you know, some new, new members class or something. We were going to do that. That was fine for us to do. We were going to rapidly become a part of the body of Christ. I'll tell you what it did specifically. It was so good for my teenage girls when we moved here that they rapidly had the body of Christ. I remember bringing them into the old gymnasium, which was the gymnasium below this one before the construction. And there was a tall, skinny kid running the youth ministry at that time. His name was Roger Patterson. And, and so he was the youth minister. And there was, a, there was another really skinny intern working with him. His name was Chad Parker. <laughs> and and uh, he had just done like a year of the Bible college and was doing his internship. And my daughters loved that because I remember going in there and hearing this loud worship music and they were serving breakfast to these high school kids. And my daughters were n- immediately knit in. They had a community. And then uh, uh, the lady started inviting my wife to different meetings. And though she was grieving because we left this church we had been in for 11 years in South Carolina, she had all immediately a new community, a new group of people. This is what the body of Christ does. And so often as believers, we neglect this. We neglect to see how important the fellowship of the body of Christ is, learning to get knit in and knit in quickly. It does not take four years to find a fellowship. It really doesn't. Certainly within six months you can do it, and I would even say certainly within three months you can do it. And you get knit in with the body of Christ. It will mean so much to you. When you travel abroad, get knit in with the body of Christ. I have known students from this class go to travel abroad. They get knit in with the body of Christ abroad. They meet their spouse abroad. Who ha- and, and in one case it happened to be he was, she was from Texas. And you know he met her there and now they're, they're often married together after they came back. And, and, and it's several years past and now they're married. You, you meet your spouse in the body of Christ. This is a good thing to do. But you have the fellowship of the body of Christ. Here's the great apostle. He takes courage. You will take courage and be strengthened through the body of Christ. You will go to graduate school someday. Get knit in with the body of Christ. Learn to do this. And believers came around Paul and it was a strength to him. He didn't say, well, you know, I have my Bible and I have God and I have Christian TV. This is all I need. No, he needed the body of Christ. The body of Christ was important to Paul. He recognized that. We need one another. And this is your security. This is for your good. This is what the Scriptures teach us. Learn to get knit in with the body of Christ. Campus ministries. Campus ministries can be really strong for undergraduates. But for graduate students, you may find when you go off to graduate school, it's less strong. That's generally the case at most campuses. And you'd be like... If, if, if campus ministry was your home, where you, you got strengthened in the body of Christ, that's fine. But when you go off to graduate school, it won't be there. And if you graduate and go into a, a real job, you don't have that anymore. So you have to learn to get knit in closely 
with the local church. And through that, you will find a sense of community. Your children will find a sense of community. Your children will learn many things that you don't know through the body of Christ. My children know how to sing. They know how to read music. They know how to make arts and crafts, things that I never learned. They know how to do. And they learn this at vacation Bible school and Sunday school and all the things. They learned how to do this. They learned how to interact with other people through the body of Christ. I am so thankful to the body of Christ. And this is why when people say, you know, what about tithing? I'm like, tithing? Tithing is nothing compared to what I get out of the body of Christ giving 10% of my salary is just no problem at all. What I get out of the body of Christ, what it's done for me and my family, I don't feel like, oh, you know, they're, they're taking my money. I'm like, I get an awfully good deal out of this. One of your children ends up in a psychiatrist's office very often. It's going to cost you a whole lot of money out of your pocket. It's a whole lot better that they never have to be there in the first place. That they have a sense of community and a sense of fellowship and the body of Christ. Learning how to, to deal with that. Okay, let's move on. In verse 16, when they entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So Paul was allowed to be under house arrest. Probably uh, this centurion has speak, spoken a good word on Paul's behalf. And they said, okay, he's not a risk of flight. Plus, every prisoner had to be chained to a guard. So Paul could be in his own rented residence, it says. And, and, uh, um, and it, it says that late, later on in, in, in verse 30, that he had his own rented quarters. And he was allowed to stay... But his right hand had to be chained to the left hand of a Roman soldier at all times. So Roman soldiers would be coming through and doing their shifts. But he was allowed to stay. So now he has this, his own rented quarters. And look what he does. He's not going to say, well, you know, this is really uncomfortable. And it's really not a home. You know, I've got to have my own stuff for it to really be a home. I'll wait till. It's, it's, it's all set up so the brethren can come and put nice pictures on the wall and I can get you know, nice, nice little things put in the bathroom and all of this and then I'll start inviting people over. No, I mean he immediately started using that home for the ministry of the gospel. Remember this, whatever you have, wherever you are, you can use that for the ministry of the gospel. It says in verse 17, okay, well he did take some time off after three days. So he had been through a shipwreck he gets here, he gets his own place, and after three days, he says, I'm ready. You know, I'm ready to go. There was not three years of recovery. It was not like, do you know what I've been through? I've just been through a shipwreck and, and then having to stay on this island that was cold and rainy and everything, and then two years in prison before that in Caesarea. I just need some downtime. I just need to be, I need to be alone. Leave me alone. No, it wasn't. Three days, he was ready to go. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And they came together and he began to say to them, and he began to talk. So this is in accordance with Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is first to the Jew, Jew and then to the Gentile. There were two other chapters, chapter 13 and chapter 18, where Paul demonstrated that he went first to the Jew. He always went first to the Jew, but even in 13 and 18, that when the Jews rejected, then he went to the Gentiles. But wherever he went, he maintained this practice. And he, he had to stay in his own rented quarters. He couldn't go out into the marketplace. That was it. He had to stay there. So what did he do? He called the Jews to himself. He called all the Jewish leaders to himself. And be, he began to speak to them. 
He says, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of Romans. So what does he step? He says, I did nothing. I did nothing against any people, nor against the customs, because he recognized it was an offense to do something against the customs of the people. He says, I didn't offend anybody. Remember, he had been in the temple doing his Nazarite vow, offering this up when he was picked up. Verse 18, And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. This is amazing. This is just flashing. You know, this is a a, a blinking link here that just draws your attention. He says in verse 19, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. Huh? I was minding my own business in the temple. They came, they grabbed me, they dragged me out, they started kicking me and beating me. I almost died. The Romans had to deliver me from their wrath. I tried to speak to them. They started, you know, throwing dirt in the air at me as soon as I I mentioned Gentiles and and, and the ministry. And then there was this mock trial. They planned to to execute me, to to kill me on the way. And then I had to be guarded by, remember, these 70 horsemen and everything. They took me to Caesarea. I've spent two years in Caesarea in prison for something I never did because of this false accusation from the Jews. I was put on a ship. I spent 14 days going through the deep, not knowing where we were, thinking we were all going to die. We get shipwrecked on an island. I'm all freezing cold and wet. I get bitten by a snake. Then I spend three more months on the island, waiting for winter to pass. Then we get on a boat, and I'm here, and I have no accusation against my nation. I mean, somebody just looks at me, and I smile at them, and they don't smile back, and I'm offended. (laughs) This man could sit here and say, I have no accusation against my nation. How can a human being be like that? You know, anybody would have been, you know, calling their lawyer, demanding from the Jews, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, reconciliation money. You know, you, you owe me something, some compensation here. You know how much my time is worth? Do you know? And I've spent the last two and a half years? You owe me. And then the pain and suffering on top of that. And all that it's done to the people who care about me. And my ministry. You know how many churches I could have started? You know, you owe me a lot here. I mean, this is worth at least tens of millions of dollars. He says, I have nothing. I have no case against my nation. Nothing. This man learned how to release and move on with his life. This man was so full. God, oh God, make me like Paul the Apostle. Give me a heart like this heart. Give me a heart like this heart. I mean, that a man could do this sort of thing was just amazing. That he could, he could have this sort of attitude in his life. You know, the Bible talks about vengeance. Look in, in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. So it's, it's, it, Paul has the ability to write about this sort of thing. 
because Paul has undergone persecution. If you think you have undergone persecution, trust me, it is kindergarten what you have gone through and what I have gone through as far as persecution compared to what these people went through and what many believers in the church today go through. Romans chapter 12, reading from verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It is very specific what the scripture is telling us to do. It says, never take your own revenge. Never. Never take your own revenge, Paul is saying. And Paul has the right to say this. What he has gone through, he never sought his own revenge. Not only did he not seek his own revenge, he says, I have no accusation against my nation. I mean, do you see how amazing this guy is? I have no accusation against my nation. One little person does us wrong and we just want to talk about her. Do you know what that person did to me? You know what that person did to me? Oh, really? And, and it goes on and on and on. He had no accusation against this nation. He says, never, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Whatever the Word of God instructs us to do, there is the grace to do it. It is not on my own strength. There is the grace of God. You know, one of the ones that's particularly hard, and I'll, I'll be very open with you, that's particularly hard for people to get past is sexual abuse. So if a person was sexually abused as a child, the Bible does not say, never take your own revenge except in the case of childhood sexual abuse. It says, by the grace of God, you can move on from there. You don't have to hold that thing. Do you imagine what would have happened to Paul's ministry? Paul lived seven years past this point where we are in the book of Acts. Paul lived seven years past the point of his getting to Rome. He lived seven years. Imagine if in his life he had harbored this. There would have been seven years of no ministry. From the prison in Rome, from this imprisonment, this two-year imprisonment in Rome, he, he wrote... Philippians, Colossians, um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He wrote four, four epistles in the New Testament during this two-year period. And he ministered to many. It says in Philippians chapter 1, through him, in this time, it was well known, the faith was well known among the Praetorian Guard. Well, how did the Praetorian Guard hear about this, this faith? Well, duh, because every six hours there was a new Roman soldier chained to his wrist. And here he was sharing all the time with people. And you spend six hours next to the Apostle Paul, you're probably falling on your knees and saying, God help me. Remember, this is the guy who was in prison and the prison doors fall open and, 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 and the, the prison guard falls out and says, tell me what I need to do to be saved. Imagine being chained to this guy for six hours. The whole Praetorian guard it says in Philippians chapter 1, had come to know this. So much effective ministry would have been lost had Paul held a case against his nation. 
is spitting and cursing and planning out this lawsuit. I'm going to get them. I'm just getting them back for what they did to me. I'm still Christian, you know. Paul released this thing. And fruitful ministry can come. If we could release the offenses that people have done against us. Remember, we have offended others. I have offended plenty. When I remember, I ask them to forgive me. But I'm sure I have not even known when I've offended people. And I know that. Because people tell me years later, when you did such and such, you offended me. I'm like, first of all, I don't even remember doing that. You know? And, and so we offend all sorts of people. We really do. So if we think that, that, that we are free of offending others, we're not. But as far as what people have done to us, we must learn how to let this thing go. Did the Jews come and say, Paul, I am so sorry. You know, the Jewish people, I'm so sorry for what we've done. You spent two years in prison in Caesarea. Remember, this is a prison. This wasn't a hotel. You've got open windows. And it's, it's facing the Mediterranean Ocean. And so there's this cold breeze coming in all winter. It's two years in prison. I'm sorry that, you know, the, the Jews came and they, they were going to kill you. They tried to kill you. And you had to go through that shipwreck and the viper and everything. Two and a half years of your life. I'm sorry. They didn't say they were sorry because many times we feel, what? well, when they say they're sorry, then I'll forgive. There's no use in forgiving people if they haven't yet said they're sorry. I mean, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. If you wait for people to say they're sorry before you forgive them, you will not be forgiving many people in life. Because not many people say they're sorry. The Jews weren't coming and saying they're sorry when Paul said, I have no accusation. I have nothing against my own nation. He was able to release this thing long before the, 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 the saying of sorry. Well... Okay, well, you said you're sorry, but you don't really mean it. Show that you're contrite for a while, then I'll forgive you. I mean, this is nonsense. According to the Scripture, we are to forgive. Jesus, it says, forgave us. While we were yet His enemies, Christ died for us. So while he was re- we were, remained His enemies, He says, I'll die for you. He didn't say, you stop being my enemy and I'll die for you. He says, while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. So this is what he says. He says, I have nothing against my nation. Nothing there. How can a man be like this? It is only by the grace of God that you could walk like this. Only in the grace of God. This is beyond human. This is not a human tendency. It is beyond human. I cannot ask you to forgive and to release this type of abuse that you may have gone, on, g- gone through in the past. But I'm not the one asking you. It is Jesus who is the one who says, do this. And it will be good for you. You will be released and it will open up great ministry for you. You will be released and it will open up great ministry for you. One day, somebody is going to hurt you or terribly hurt one that you love. One day you're going to have children and someone may hurt one of your children. And the pain that comes when somebody hurts one of your children is much more than the pain that you would experience if they hurt you. 
And the same word will come. You need to walk in forgiveness and move on. Release this thing and allow your life to undergo pleasant ministry. Allow that. Okay, so then let's turn back to Acts chapter 28. So in Acts chapter 28, he says in verse 20, For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. So there again, we underscore that Paul is chained to a Roman soldier. I am wearing this chain. I am wearing this chain for the hope of Israel. I mean, look at how he turns the whole thing. I am wearing this chain because some stinking Roman soldier put it there. I am wearing this chain because of you people, you Jews who had me falsely accused. I am wearing this chain because of a stinking Roman government who treats Jews like dirt. And so I have a case against them too. That's what he could have said. But he said, I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. Whoa. I mean, how's that for thinking optimistically? For putting a good view on the things that he was experiencing. I am wearing this chain That means when he would try to wash up in the morning and do his business, there was a Roman soldier chained to him. At all times, he says, I am wearing this chain, this chain right here. When I hear this chain clank and and my wrist is all raw from having this chain on me for two and a half years, half a year on the ship and in Malta and two years here in Rome, I've had this chain on my wrist. Imagine what that chain, what his wrist must have looked like. Remember, that's not, uh, you know, it doesn't have velvet on the inside. He says, but I'm wearing this for the hope, for the, I'm wearing this for the sake of the hope of Israel. What we do, if we do it with this view in mind, this is for the sake of my Jesus who gave himself for me. This is why I serve in InterVarsity. This is why I serve in Agape. This is why I serve in Baptist Student Ministry. I do this for the sake of the Gospel. For the sake of my Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for me. Because there will be times when you feel like, I am exhausted. I am doing this, and very, other, very few other people are doing this. And all of us have felt this. And we get in this Elijah syndrome. I'm the only prophet left here, Lord. <laughs> and Paul says, I'm doing this for the sake of the hope of Israel. For this. Learn to take the situation that you're in and transfer it. And to say, I am doing this for my Lord Jesus. And then you pray, very specifically, you pray, Lord, give me strength. And love them through me. Lord, love these people through me. I learned this prayer through, uh, uh, through Corey Ten Boom, who would ask God to love these Germans that had killed her, her, had resulted in the death of her sister and her father, and just decimated her family, and put her in, in, in this concentration camp. She would say, Lord, love them through me. 
love them through me. You pray this prayer. Jesus, you love this person through me. Jesus, you love this group through me. You love this individual through me. And God begins to minister. Lord, let me never take vengeance. Never. But let me release that so that I don't even have an accusation against this person so that I can go on with my fruitful ministry. Let it not hamper the ministry of the grace of God. Or else what happens is, as you grow older, the scars of the baggage, of the pain that you're carrying will begin to show in your face and in your body and in your spirit. And it will begin to consume you. And you take people that are in constant fellowship with the Lord. Constant fellowship. And as they age, their faces become brighter and brighter. See, this is amazing. I mean, look at you. and You're just getting older, but you're brighter. I mean, there's something there. This is the light of God. It's the light of Christ that comes into the life. When we walk His way, remember that grace is not just uh, an undeserved gift. Grace is the power to do the very will of God. As the Scripture says, He has given you the will and the power to do His will. He gives us the power to do His will. That is what grace is, it tells us in Philippians. It is the power to do the very will of God. This is what grace is. Because in this, this is beyond human to do what this man is talking about, to do what he has done. But grace is the power to do His will. And that's what He fills us with. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the example of the Word of God, for the example of Christ in this man, Paul. That without an accusation, without an accusation against that nation, Father, I pray for these young people that You so fill and use them in their lives. That when pain comes or if they have undergone suffering, Father, let them release that to never seek vengeance. And Father, I pray that they would learn to call down from You love for others. That they would learn to call down from You grace to walk in Your very will in this way. That they can release this Father, that they would be free of the baggage of life that utterly consumes so many, even among believers. Father, I pray that these young people would be free of that and that You would so give them grace to be able to turn to those who have even hurt them and say, I have no accusation against You. For the sake of the hope of Israel, for the sake of the Gospel, for the sake of Him who gave Himself for each one of them. Father, I pray that they would do this. In the name of Jesus. Amen.